Yeah, we're back. Long weekend. Long football weekend. We had a whole oh, yeah. full slate of college football games all the way through Monday. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty exciting stuff. There's, I feel like there's so much to talk about. You want to, I mean, like, we kind of have to start with Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot to say. Very disappointing first game against a very subpar team. Um, the silver lining was that the defense looked uh, looked the part and looked really good. Um, but even that, it's hard to determine if that was just because it was Indiana, because it didn't seem like Indiana could even find decide if they could have a quarterback that knew how to play the position <laughs> throughout that game. Um, but you know, just. You know, after this, this specifically after the dis, the way that we lost against Georgia last year, you would think that in the first game out, we would come out um, like gangbusters. I really thought that we were going to blow this team out. Did not happen. Kyle Kyle McCord struggled throughout the game. Ryan Day um, commented on that and said that he did not play up to the level um, that is expected of a starting quarterback at Ohio state. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that we've got some, some, some work to do for this team to be, uh, competitive or better than they were last year. Yeah, I agree, man. I agree. And I think like we both guessed, I think double the score that we put up (laughs) maybe we got spoiled a little bit for the last couple of years, but you know, I definitely think it wasn't outside the realm of possibility. There were three times we were in the, in the red zone that we weren't able to convert had settled for a field goal. Um, in addition, I didn't foresee the impact the clock rules would make. We only had 10 total offensive drives the entire game. So that was definitely like a shift in terms of, um, you know, how we looked, but I would say on the positives, um, we talked about this a little bit offline, but the running game was fantastic. Like seeing, seeing us lead with the running attack and, you know, to your point, like we didn't see what we wanted out of McCord, I think there's a lot of growth to be had. And I think this is the most like, this is the, the probably the worst quarterback play we've seen in 15 years at Ohio state, 15, 20 years. So, um, that's, that's not necessarily how you want to start the season, but I was encouraged to see that, you know, we have a very balanced and dynamic running attack that goes way deeper than just Travion. Yeah. I mean, we've got three backs. Um, Travion's got a got a lot of room for improvement. I know he had injuries last year, but um Trianum's going to take his job if he's not careful. Um the guy is is solid, dynamic both in pass protection um and in running the game. Um but, you know, and that's not to take away from Travion at all. He's a gener- he's a great talent as well. Um but it looks like there are so many the running back room is so deep um, that, you know, he's got he's to gotta show up. You know, there were times that, you know, it looked like he was really trying to make big plays instead of taking what the defense was giving him. But um, I think the takeaway from this 
is that we'll see if Ryan Day can go against his nature, um, which is to pass first, run second, um, and focus on this run game because I think that we can brutalize teams and we definitely can beat Michigan if we just have a ground and pound attack um, and not put the ball in Kyle McCord's hands too much. Uh, he did say that, uh, you know, both quarterbacks were going to play more this week. We'll see how that goes. Clearly, the coaching staff is not fully confident in Kyle McCord, or they would not um, be even taking this approach where um, they're like, we're going to play, we're going to play uh, other QBs, you know. So clearly, there's a lot of uh, concern at that position, specifically, both internally and externally. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was kind of weird honestly because they went into this game saying we would see like a pretty even split of both and like we didn't. I felt like we saw a ton of McCord and very little Devin Brown. The the couple appearances Devin Brown had, I thought were honestly really underwhelming as well, uh given all the hype kind of behind him. Um and then to McCord's credit, like he did kind of pull it together in the second half a little bit more, like he showed a little bit more um comfort in the pocket than he did the first half, but I still don't like to your point. I still don't think we have a solution there. And I think it's, it's a little bit nerve wracking um, to not have a solution there. But I, I also came away feeling the same thing about, you know, potential Michigan matchup as we get, you know, the first game. But as, as we're looking toward the end of the season, this is the formula that we know works. It's a formula of having an amazing running attack, a strong defense and, and toughness. And that's what it takes to beat that team at the end of the year. And this is, I think, a more consistent and sustainable type of game plan then that doesn't rely so much on talent and when it comes to talent i think one of the stories of the game was how open our receivers were and how mccord wasn't able to get them the ball despite having the best receivers in the country and i think that's something that you know definitely needs to be looked at in film this week and you know brought into practice we have two weeks in a row now against some weaker opponents where it should be pretty wide open downfield and I think we need to see McCord taking some shots there. Yeah. I mean, and I don't want to put this all on Kyle McCord. The thing that's drastically different and Maurice Claret um, kind of uh, jokingly alluded to this is that you don't see energy in Moxie from this team, like swagger. Like you looked at that, you look at, you know, we'll talk to about them a little bit. You look at how Colorado came out in their first game after going one in 11 and the attitude with which they played that game versus Ohio State coming, against, coming out against Indiana. There's a personality issue here too, which is act as if, right? And when you are a team this talented, sometimes you have to act as if you are that talented and you are that confident. And it's, and oftentimes, unfortunately, this starts with two things, the head coach and the quarterback. And with Kyle McCord, it just didn't look like, you obviously want your quarterback to be even keeled from a temperament standpoint, but it almost seemed like he was just happy to be there. Like, ah, shucks, golly gee, versus like really taking control of the team, looking at this as his opportunity to take control of not just the team, but his destiny um, as a quarterback to get the opportunity to play quarterback and start at Ohio State with all the talent that's on the team. It's a dream that quarterbacks across the country um, would relish. You know, Quinn Ewers, if he knew he was, uh, <laughs> if it wasn't for his NIL situation, 
I think would much rather be in a situation at Ohio State with the receiving talent and the running game talent that we have at Ohio State than he would be at Texas. You know what I mean? So for Kyle McCord to have this opportunity, I think he he needs to really embrace it more. And I also think uh, overall within the program, I think we need to get a little bit more attitude. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think also I was reflecting on his post-game interview. Um, I think he did a good job answering his questions. But to your point, if he were to be like, that was horrible, I'll be back next week and I'll show you what I'm really made of. Like it would have been a totally different reaction from the fan base. Like, okay, like he can acknowledge like this isn't normal for him. But if he's like, you know, we're going to go look at film. There were good things. There were bad things. Like it's like, okay, like is how much better do you really think you can get? Yeah, and and unfortunately, you know, we have seen this historically. CJ Stroud didn't have experience when he came in and took over. You know what I mean? Dwayne Haskins had limited experience. You don't get the opportunity to grow into the job at a program like Ohio State or at any elite college football program. One loss is the difference between you being in the college football playoff and you not being in the college football playoff. So you have to be perfect or attempt to be perfect because there are three or four other teams that will be and you don't want to be left out. And this program, despite the success of getting into the college football playoff two times, we have been dominated by Michigan and that's that comes down to Michigan not doesn't have more talent than Ohio State. It's the attitude in which they come into that game. And, you know, we watched, uh, I know a lot of college football fans have watched the Swamp Kings documentary with Urban Meyer. You know, everyone's talking about the details they left out. But the truth is that Urban Meyer understands that football is a game of toughness. And once he recognized he, at Florida that that toughness wasn't there and at Ohio State that that toughness wasn't there, he toughened up the team. And I'm just wondering if we need a little bit more of that in the program. Ryan Day is a great guy. Hear nothing but great things about him. Um, but in year three, year four now, um, he's he's one of the highest paid college football coaches He's, he's not just the guy that got put in that position. It is his job now. So he's got to own that job just like Kyle McCord needs to own the quarterback job and not be afraid of being an asshole sometimes. Yeah, I think that's well said. And on the defensive side, like I, I thought, you know, we saw great linebacker play. Steel Chambers, Tommy Eichenberg played great. Um, JT Tumalau, of course, was great. A couple guys that stood out that I didn't really see, um, you know, I had no idea how they were going to play. Sonny Styles, I think his dad was a pro player too. Um, he comes from that pedigree. And then um, I didn't know, I didn't know about this guy, but Davison Igbenosan, I believe I'm saying that close, um, was also you know really impressive in this debut. And I think overall, like when I was looking at the defensive side of the ball um, compared to the other teams, like one of the things that did feel like it was missing was the aggression about getting to the ball, getting to the quarterback, like open field tackling, I will say was a huge step up from last year. Last year, there were so many open field tackles we missed. We weren't able to get guys down when they were getting him, you know, off to the side or, or any sort of opportunity where it was open field. This time around, it felt a lot more secure. Obviously, Indiana ran way more of an option. So we didn't really test our corners and safeties in a meaningful way. Um, 
I don't think we will for, you know, several weeks. I don't even know if we will against Notre Dame, to be honest. So we'll kind of see how this defense develops, but I definitely think it's a step up. I think the thing that I, you know, I'm curious about is, you know, where, where is the sacks in a game like this? Where is the, you know, like the aggression from that D line, like that we're used to seeing from like the chase youngs that we've had in the past of like, you you had that sense when they were on the field like nobody could stop them and to your point like that seems to not be there that energy wasn't there at all this whole game yeah i mean you know there are multiple ways to approach these early season games right um you know there there's a philosophy you don't want to put too much on film because you don't need to do too much to beat a team like this but i think specifically with this defense after what happened in the last two games last season, um, it was important to I, I, to create an identity in this specific game. Fuck the film, you know. Worried about you don't worry about what everyone else is going to see. Eventually, they're going to see what your team is as you get into the heart of the Big Ten season. Why not come out after the Georgia game? It was great to see them only allow three points. But why not terrorize this underwhelming op- opponent? We ran a very conservative defense. We did not blitz hardly at all. Um, and we did not, we essentially just said, this team sucks offensively. So we're just going to keep them in front of us, which is fine. But again, you have to create an identity on the defensive side of the ball after what happened last season with Michigan running all over us and Georgia's offense doing more against us than they did against any other team in college football. Like it just, it just isn't okay to take that conservative approach anymore. Um, especially in these games, this is just obviously my opinion on this. This is the game you show the world that Ohio state football and Ohio state defense is, is something to fear. And I don't think that that was established. Yeah. And I also want to call out on the special teams. I was really concerned. Obviously, Indiana had a good returner there, but um, I was concerned, man. I was concerned watching the special teams. It didn't feel like we were really cohesive at all. Yeah. I mean, we've got two games to get it together. You know, there's obviously hiccups, too. Uh, When you see the 20, you know, 23 point score line. Uh, I think this is the first time in 50 years that an Ohio State-Indiana game has gone under 30 points. Probably the first time Ohio State hasn't scored 30 or more <laughs> against Indiana. So it's definitely not something to write home about. I hope they don't try to find silver linings here because there aren't really. It's get better and 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 start becoming a dominant team because the talent means that talent there means that you should be dominant against teams like Indiana and Western Kentucky and these guys or Notre Dame is going to wake us the fuck up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Meanwhile, Notre Dame had an amazing, you know, again, a big win. Um, Hard to tell, you know, how good is Notre Dame? How good are they not? They played that Ireland opener, I believe against Navy. Um, A couple other, other teams that, we can jump into, uh, well, let's jump into Oklahoma, who I watched right before the Ohio State game. They won 73 to zero. And this was like the six and seven team from Oklahoma last year is totally gone. Like they're back to back to who they were. Um, and, you know, following Clemson's collapse, you can see like the defense really did come over with with Brett Venables when he took over that coaching job. Uh, I was really impressed watching this. Like 
pitching a shutout is hard enough. Putting up 73 and pitching a shutout, it just means your defense is on the field that much more. Um, so I felt like this was an interesting performance overall. It was interesting to see a team like that, um, you know, really step up. And also, like, for me, I think it set kind of a bar in terms of intensity that I watched that I test, like, flipping from that immediately over to the Ohio State game when it ended. It was like the intensity was just like a huge drop off. And like, just to echo to your point, like other teams in the landscape did come out to make a statement. They did come out to say, hey, we're back. We're not we're not the team we were last year. And, you know, I I thought, you know, despite Arkansas State, it's tough to know how good they are. The coach obviously had that. He was like crying at the end and that got memed like crazy. But, um, you know, 73 hours is nothing to nothing to laugh at. And I think Oklahoma this season could be. Um, could be a real contender. Yeah, I mean, I always, you know, take Big 12 teams with a grain of salt because you see these high score lines. So we'll see if a team, if a team out of the Big 12 uh, can show up. I mean, Texas has a lot of hype this year. Um, Oklahoma doesn't really have much hype, but maybe that's a good thing um, for them outside of their fan base, their fan base. And that's a good thing about these programs, um, these blue blood programs is, the fan base is always going to support uh, support the team and 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 be optimistic uh, in their outlook. But you know, we'll see what plays out if Texas continues to win and Oklahoma continues to win. Um, there might be a spot for um, a Big Twelve team to lose in the uh, college football playoff again this year. <laughs> It'll be interesting. I think Texas um, Texas obviously is the story. That's what the media has been circling around. Um, Quinn being the quarterback over there uh, is trying to, I mean, he was injured for most of last year and I think that really set them back. Texas doesn't have a track record of performing to their, you know, level of expectation there. I think they're a program with a lot of hands in the pot trying to control things. And I think, you know, that, that just sets you back, but I mean, he did have a good game, although it was against rice. So you can't really say very much about that performance. 37 and 10 (laughs) does feel to me, a little bit of a pedestrian win against a team like Rice if, you know, Texas is to live up to the hype that they're putting around it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, the Big 12 is is pretty much um, irrelevant until they prove themselves to be relevant again. And, and, and you know how I feel about this, this conference is Michigan obviously was an embarrassment losing to TCU because you saw how bad of a defense TCU was um, both in the national championship game. And then also in probably the, the most electric game of this weekend of this weekend, um, Colorado. I know it's going to be interesting because Colorado is moving into the big 12 next year. Um, but Oklahoma and Texas will be departing. Um, it's interesting to see kind of how these conferences are makeups are changing in front of us. Right. And I think, to your point about Oklahoma, they really got to um, change uh, the moxie and the personality of the team in order to compete at all in the SEC next year. And so I can see why their fans are excited. Texas is going to be Texas. But I think the Colorado game is the most important game to talk about for a variety of reasons, um, you know, and probably one that we should probably spend quite a bit of time discussing is that uh this team was one in 11 last year um and 
there was a lot of controversy around Deion Sanders bringing in 60 transfer players and new players. Um, but those are the rules. And when you are the head football coach, it is your responsibility to put the players on the field that can compete. None of those players were Dion's players. Um, there are challenges with this transfer portal um, that are sprouting up, but they aren't his problems, right? Um, John Calipari brought this up in his his in an interview recently and saying, look, what people aren't accounting for is that teams are holding scholarships and preventing kids that probably could get scholarships at certain schools. They're not getting them because they're holding them out for potential transfers and other things. And that could have an impact on the whole idea of student athletes, you know, and there are less and less kids now that have scholarships at programs because of these transfer rules, incoming freshmen. Um, It's, it's definitely a challenge, but it's not, Dion did not set the rules. He's playing by the rules. He's not incentivizing his guys with illicit money. He's literally telling guys that if you want to compete and be the best football player you can be, come to Ohio State. I mean, I wish the, I wish he was. See, that was a Freudian slip. I wish yeah. he was the coach at Ohio State. Um, but for that to happen, and then within in one game, go and face a top twenty-five ranked. TCU, you can say what you want. I didn't think they were going to be a top 25 team, but Colorado was a one in 11 team and they beat TCU. And it's so interesting because TCU had the opportunity to hire Deion Sanders and they didn't because they weren't. And, and there's a race factor here as well. He's loud and he's, and he says it in his interviews. They're not going to hire a loud mouth black coach certain programs. That's why Florida State didn't hire him. That's why TCU didn't hire him. But I'm sure TCU's looking at Sonny Dykes right now and looking at Deion Sanders and saying, damn, we made a mistake here. Because could you imagine what the type of talent that's in Texas, Deion Sanders being the coach of TCU? Well, and I think like the unique thing about him, I think he will get coach of the year this year. I don't I don't think there's any question about it. But nobody at Colorado was originally going to go to Colorado. You know what I'm saying? He has this gravity that he connects with the young players in a way that not a lot of programs and coaches are able to. So it doesn't really matter in my view, what program Dion's in, as long as he's in a program that can compete at the highest level, because you've got, you know, Travis Hunter went to an HBCU to play for this guy. He was the number one recruit of his class. And so if you can get the number one recruit to say, all right, like I'll, I'll, I'll jump into a league where, you know, my talents really aren't going to be shown at the highest level just to be with you. That says a lot. And so I think we're, we're headed toward an era, you know, whether people like it or not, the next five to 10 years likely will be, you know, entirely about Dion. It'll be entirely wherever he's at, wherever he's coaching. That's where the players will go. That's where the talent will want to play. And it'll, it'll just be, you know, on him to empower them. And you look, you've got four receivers on Colorado that, uh, received for over 100 yards. You have Shadur Sanders, who threw for 500 yards. You have Travis Hunter, who's just absolutely nuts on both sides of the ball. And I think it's an exciting and fun team with a great narrative. And, you know, to your point, like this is going to be the story all season, Colorado. And they've got a tough schedule, too. They're playing a lot of the big teams. They're playing USC, they're playing Utah, they're playing Washington, they're playing Oregon. They have a tough schedule, and these are tough teams. The question is, 
will any of us see any of these games because they'll be on the Pac-12 network. Yeah, uh, I have Colorado beating USC. Um, That is going to be my hot take. Uh, (laughs) They have a very tough schedule. I don't think they're going to be in the national championship picture in year one. Um, Specifically, TCU exposed that you can run on the, the, the defensive line and linebackers have a lot of work to do. Um, but I think to your point about, you know, Dion taking over, I think you, you and I have had these conversations uh, multiple times about the lack of talent in college football coaching. You know, you've got an, a, a vacuum right now where Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, um, Dabo's showing his, his flaws right now. Lincoln Riley's a hot name, but he's never won a national championship. Um, and has never shown that his team can really compete with the big boys yet. He's an offensive mastermind. He knows how to get his guys, the Heisman. He definitely knows how to do that. Uh, I won't take that away from him. But Dion came into a situation where you look at the talent pool across the nation and you're like, why is this guy great? And this is the thing that, you know, the NFL, um, should look at too is that there's this this thought process that um former players can't be leaders but true truly the players are gonna are going to follow a guy that they can look at and say he's a hall of famer he's one of the greatest players to ever play the game he knows the game he's passionate about the game He's been involved in youth sports long before he was a coach. He's developed, look at how he's developing his own kids, the type of kids and character of the kids that come into Colorado and um, even even his prior, prior stop at Jackson State. He's not recruiting bad kids. He's recruiting good kids who do well in the classroom. They just want to be great. And it's like understanding that, I think would lead to a shift. And it's going to be interesting to see if there's a shift in the coaching ranks of both the NFL and college to see more of these type of former players um, who have the respect um, of everybody in the football community. Because this isn't just about his personality. The coaches that he brought with him, the offensive coordinator, former head coach of Kent State, he recognized how talented an offensive game planner and play caller and said, I need that guy. He's got two former Super Bowl winners on his coaching, head coaches on his coaching staff. Mike Zimmer, um, who was both a great defensive coordinator with the Bengals and the head coach of the Vikings, is an assistant. So it's like, it's not just about Dion's personality. It's about the fact that he's building a structure an infrastructure within Colorado that can compete and be excellent. And I think there's a lot to take away from that. And in terms of not being scared to hire these larger than life, former players as your head coach. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. I think one of the things that also stands out to me about him is that as a person, he's very fearless. He's fearless yeah. in his, in what he says, who he is, how he represents himself. And I just think we need more people in the world like that who are just willing to be themselves and willing to stand up and say what they believe. And like, he's, he's willing to be wrong too. And everything he's preaching is about giving kids an opportunity, letting them shine. Like the fact that people don't like him shocks me 
because it's literally just like the most positive message. The reason people don't like him is because he's taking their players from their favorite teams. And that is yeah. what it is. Like if you, if, if, you know, that's the reason you're going to hate on him, that I think that's a fair reason. If, if he's the reason your team is worse, so be it. But for everybody else, like he's doing a good thing here and he's elevating the sport. And he's not doing anything but putting positive messaging out there. And, and that's the thing I wake up in the morning and I see, I go his to see tweets. what you his, see his tweets, tweet. I yeah. go to see it and it, it inspires me in the morning because it's like to make anything of yourself in this world, you have to believe in yourself. And it just really is disheartening, um, to see a guy who does nothing but put positive messages out there, uh, be hated on the way that he is, um, by so many different people. You know, uh, I think, I think that that's just, just an unfortunate reality. Of course, if you're a competitor, he's, he's, he talks a lot of shit, but it's a competitive sport. He's a football coach. He's not, he's not running for president, you know? And, and honestly, if he was running for president, I'd probably give him my vote. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but that's, that's just the thing about society. And and he says it and he's unapologetic. He even says in his post-game interviews, if Deion Sanders had the exact same personality in America and was was a Caucasian, no one would, people would be talking talking about him like he was the greatest thing ever. I don't it is something that is very troubling because it's like why would you not want to p- promote this image of a, a African American man and say this is something for all these kids both black and white to aspire to be like. I don't, I don't see why that would be an issue. Yeah. Well, fortunately ESPN agrees with you because he has been all over that network this week doing interviews every day. He was uninterrupted. <laughs> like I think Monday morning, I mean, it's awesome. Dude. He's so ESPN, entertaining. Yeah. He's so entertained, but ESPN knows what it is, right? It's the same reason yeah. they have <laughs> interviews with LeBron all the time too, is they, they, they're media entity. They know what this is. They, they love this because it's, it's, it's got all the recipes, the abrasive, the abrasive coach. There's a race storyline here who is going to keep saying what he believes. It's like, he's perfect for what that network has become, which is, you know, Debate shows, debate shows, debate shows. It's like this guy is lick is gold for ESPN. The yeah. concern really is is the type of you know, and, and what's funny about this too is the great coaches really, really like and respect Dion. Nick Saban loves Dion Sanders. You know, they're friends. You know what I mean? So it's like Okay. Well, winners, winners recognize winners. That's what is yep. real. Recognize real. It's it's just what it is. Yep. Yep. So um, I Go wanted ahead. to segue too because like he did mention recently that when they were asking him like what college he went to, like he wasn't claiming Florida State anymore. And you mentioned that about the coaching job. Maybe I missed this, but was there some sort of context in this off season regarding Florida State and him? Did he have conversations? Not not the, not this off season, but when the Florida State job opened three years ago, he wanted that job, and they didn't give him a real chance at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that that's kind of where the narrative stems from? Yeah, and then he 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 played at Florida State. He's right. It, it made all the sense in the world to bring Deion Sanders into that program at that time. And instead, they went with some other guy, you know. I forgot. Um, Who did so, they go with? I can't, the guy I can't that's there remember. now. 
Can't, you don't, do you don't remember think, his name? I can't think of his name right now, but... I feel like I know Norville, his name. Norville. Norville. That's what it is. Mike Norvell. Where's he from? Ole Miss? Uh, I don't know. Let me... Let me do a quick... It's I'm going to look Nor- it up, too. Mike Norvell. Yeah, that's his name. But I don't know he, anything. Arizona. Oh, he was at Memphis before. That's what it was. Yeah, I mean... It's not like he was a guy with the, they, they went and hired Nick Saban. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I'm, I will say this though. He's doing pretty freaking good down there. Florida I mean, State Memphis, looks amazing. Memphis is always producing NFL talent, specifically at the running back position. Um, but the thing is that everyone knows why Dion didn't get that job. He knows why he didn't get the TCU job. So it is personal for him. He's and he'll Dion will be the first to say, I don't know why why wouldn't TCU specifically hire him at that time, right? You're you are talking about a guy is that's lives in Dallas, is a Dallas Cowboys legend, knows the entire high school landscape in the state of Texas, and you don't hire him? Yeah, I think a lot of people are yeah, I mean a lot of people have fear around those types of personalities, people who they can't control, right? That's what it is at the end of the day, especially when you have the boosters, the administration, like you got someone who could be a wild card. That's, that's risk to a lot of organizations, despite what the upside could be. Yeah. And the thing that's interesting is like, what is, what is there about him? That's a wild card, right? He doesn't drink. He doesn't, he's not going to get caught uh, well, with I, a DUI. It's about control. I heard this quote, bro, and I think yeah. it resonate with this. This quote was that other people don't want you to be the best version of you. They want you to be the version of you that best serves them. And like, that's the truth of this whole, this whole situation, right? The best version of Dion doesn't best serve, you know, the folks who already had that control and that power. And yeah. they're looking for somebody who's going to maintain that power structure for them. And, you know, you have to give kudos um, to the program at, Col- at Colorado for recognizing the talent and not being scared to make the move. Because I think they identified and said, there's nothing wrong with this guy. We're just going to let him be him. Let him run our, our football program needs, needs a personality. Let's just yeah. let him be Dion. And, well, and if I think you lo- Colorado too, worst case, they sell more jerseys, right? Worst case scenario. I mean, Can't this get is worse the highest one and eleven. The ticket to get into the Nebraska Colorado game is more <laughs> than any NFL game this weekend. It's also That's, double the price of the Alabama game. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's crazy. And the thing is that if you when you look at the history of college football, Colorado has been a competitive program, and it is an attractive place. Yeah, it's not the most popular city or, or in the world, but you go to that campus or you go out to that area in Colorado, it's absolutely beautiful, and it's a great place to get kids to come and focus on developing their football skills in a great environment. I think he doesn't even need to go anywhere else. I think he can turn Colorado into a program at the same level as Alabama or an Ohio state. And I'm always going to regret our job opening, not being available um, when Dion was, was available. Cause could you imagine if we had Dion Sanders as our coach, like what would happen to Ohio state football and the state of Ohio in terms of the energy around the program? It would be, 
it would be very interesting. I don't know if he'd fit in with the tradition. Like you said, the reason that he wouldn't get a job at Ohio State is because he couldn't be controlled. No, that's that's exactly what it is. You've got too many people with too much money to lose. And yep. I mean, Colorado is definitely not in the same situation, you know, coming off of one and 11. So they're the only program that really was poised to make that switch. And I mean, I think what's really dope is he came in, changed up the branding, changed up the locker room, got new jerseys, like made it like a full kind of new start. And, you know, it'll be fun. It'll be fun to Did see. Did you know, <laughs> yeah. this is a fun fact, and this is why sometimes you have to act as if, um, Colorado did not have the $29 million that they promised to pay him. They hired him and then went and got the money from their, from their, from their boosters. They did not, they did not, they couldn't afford him, but they said, you know what? We're going to get this guy and worry about him later. Cause, cause the sales are going to happen. The revenue is going to happen just as a result of him being there. And we're seeing it with the ticket price and like, bro, like, let's just say that again, their ticket against Nebraska is double the price of Alabama, Texas this weekend and they're playing nebraska who sucks yeah yeah it's crazy it'll be an interesting game because i do think nebraska is like they're a tough team physically it'll be an interesting matchup to see how they hold up against against a team like that who has a more solid defense you know a little bit more fundamentals than uh than tcu would on that side of the ball i'll be curious and i'll definitely be tuned in to that game and before we um before we you know go any further I, I definitely want to talk about yeah <laughs> definitely want to talk about florida state lsu um last year i was so high on lsu because i really liked that kid Jaden daniels and uh this year i was so blown away by jordan travis he looked like bryce young used to look when he was at alabama he looked insane this entire game florida state ran away with it in the third quarter they played tough. Defense was tough. They were all over the place. Both teams had the most ridiculous athletes I saw all weekend. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if I were to pick out of everyone that played this weekend, who's, who, who looked the best, who made the biggest statement to me, I'd say Florida State. Yeah, Florida State definitely um, played a great game. The receiver transfer they got from Michigan State. Um, he solidified his draft stock this weekend. He made three ridiculous catches, important catches. The quarterback was composed. The thing that stood out to me is that he was mobile, but he kept his eyes up the field. Always look, was looking for the pass downfield. Um, was he's definitely talented. Um, the question is, you know, I think we give a lot of respect to the SEC, but if you look at what happened this weekend. Um, with um, Florida State dominating LSU and the way in which North Carolina dominated South Carolina, the question continues to have to be asked. Is this SEC respect thing? It's They're just like every other conference. There's a few teams at the top that are really, really good, but do they deserve the respect all the way down the chain or or are we over, are we giving them too much respect? If you followed our podcast, you kind of know where we fall on this this conversation generally, but it's it's being answered. The ACC put up a good showing this weekend. Florida State beating LSU, North Carolina beating South Carolina, and then within conference, Duke beating Clemson. You know, and I, I wanted to spend a moment on this Clemson thing because it provides an interesting contrast to what happens when you don't adjust to an adjusting landscape. 
Dabo Sweeney saying, we're not going to go into the transfer portal. We're not going to do NIL. Look at where Clemson was two, three years ago and where they are now. And Dabo is going to have to get off of his high horse and understand what he needs to do to compete. You know, it's like these, he, he has these like philosophical beliefs that are impacting the program negatively. You can't lose 28 to seven to Duke as Clemson. You should lose. If you lose, you lose 28 to 27 on a last second field goal, right? That's, that's what's puzzling here is that they weren't able to get points on the board. Like we saw Clemson fall off a bit last year, but I mean, this is absurd. And I didn't know, I didn't know he was sticking to his stance that hard, but are you saying he's absolutely refusing to use the portal? That's, that's what he's claiming. That's what he continues to claim. That's wild to me. (laughs) That's wild. I can't, I could not imagine having a tool that could make your team better and then choosing not to use it. Yeah, (laughs) I I can't, I can't imagine. Um, that being said, I do think this sets us up for a pretty interesting, um, pretty interesting season. I don't think anybody is like the clear favorite this year again, which is really nice. You know, it could be anybody. Um, there's, I think there's going to be some questions answered this week when we see Alabama play Texas. That's the game that is going to show us two things. One, you know, is Saban back? And then two, um, you know, what's, <laughs> what's going to happen with Texas? Are they really that team this year? Have they really taken that step up? Yeah, we, we, will, we will see. There's a lot to be seen with college football. I mean, we also, the NFL is kicking off uh, this weekend too. We'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've talked a lot about college football, so we won't, we won't extend our NFL preview uh, uh, until next week. Um, but really excited football season is back. Yeah, it's nice, man. So many narratives, so much, so much to be excited for. So, you know, I, on that note, I think that brings us to a wrapping point. Um, as always, remember, stay moving. Be you. You is fly. Pilot boys out. Pilot boys out.